Welcome to the Boss Lady Podcast. If you desire to make your life extraordinary, to reach and exceed your personal and professional goals, and to learn from other strong leaders, then the Boss Lady Podcast is for you. As a mother, wife, and former CEO, I will share lessons and stories of personal and professional successes and failures. Join my co-host, Al Smith, and me as we break down strategies, tools, and techniques that will enhance your professional and personal growth. I am Teresa Rand, and this is the Boss Lady Podcast. Welcome to the Boss Lady Podcast. I'm Al Smith here with Teresa Rand, CEO and founder of Boss Lady and, of course, Teresa Rand Consulting. And uh, got a big show tonight. We do. Really, I'm really. I'm proud pop. of you. You know, okay. I'm a proud <laughs> papa bear over here. <laughs> yep. I learned from the best, yeah, Al. How about that? You're... We're talking about some guys tonight, or talking to some guys tonight that have written two books on male mentors, and I certainly consider you on my list Um, so more on that later we'll introduce david and brad here in a few minutes but yeah we got a lot of good little good things going on your events are coming back uh no i'm Uh, slowly but surely mostly outside of it matter of fact all outside events so we're still being cautious anything but it's just nice to look see some light i've had a full day of of work today i told you you looked at me and said what do you, you look different. I know. <laughs> Actually, have purpose. Energetic. Jump in my stuff. Yeah. It's not been. Uh, we are preparing for the 2021 Boss Lady kickoff here locally, but obviously there's always room for more because we do so much virtually. So it's not just a local uh, group, but we will be doing a kickoff at the end of March at an outside venue. Looking forward to that to see all new things for Boss Lady, but. For those of you that are not local, keep staying connected to what we have going on, the trainings we have going on, and then also check us out on Career Cultivators on Facebook, which is a private Facebook page, and um, it's for all professionals, men and women. We do a lot of weekly mini trainings on there, and everything can be found at TeresaRanConsulting.com, so we got a lot of fun stuff going on. Can I just say one thing has nothing you to do can. with what we talked about, except to use the word kickoff, which just reminds me, how about those bucks? Oh, <laughs> wow. Okay. Okay. How about Tampa Bay? Yeah. I'm a long suffering fan and it was, uh, <laughs> it was great. And, you know, I must add, I have to add is just kind of a part of that was part of our show tonight. Um, one cool thing about Tampa Bay, I think I shared this with you before. But you know that all of their coordinators, the head coach is white, but all their coordinators and police right. and leadership are, are black men. Mm-hmm. And then they have the only, they have a one, first woman um, strength training right. coach, which is a huge, That's strength awesome. training coach is a That's big job. Big. Yeah, in, in, absolutely. In, it's like they spend as much time dealing with yeah. You know, grumpy athletes trying to get them to do things they don't want to do when the <laughs> limelight's right. not right. So, so yep. that's going on. And they also have a, a woman assistant, a defensive line coach, which they say they got. It's like they don't care. She helps yeah. us better. We're good. And then I, the, what, what that a lot of people I didn't know is they also have in their front office their lead negotiator, 
is a ah, there I didn't know all that. All things that have not happened a whole wow. lot in the NFL. Yeah, that's awesome. So. Plus, we had the two, are they oh, umpires? Referee. Oh, yeah, Referees. We had, well, we had the first woman referee. <laughs> you didn't see how much I, I know. know. I, but anyway, yeah. uh, yeah. I'll watch the Super Bowl at my house, yes. and I know we're a couple weeks past the Super Bowl. Yeah, but, but it's still. Um, we, still I'll watch it at mind. my house, and my, my little chihuahua dog had... A Almost Super Bowl me. hangover because yeah. Al and my husband kept screaming at the TV and my poor little dog was not used to it. Plus, yes. they stayed up late and he yes. literally slept all day the Did next he? day. <laughs> I had to check on him to be That's sure he was all right. I but it was, was just a Super Bowl hangover. It was. I thought I was ex- you know, putting out a lot you of energy. You said you were calm, but, but mm, I don't know. No, I wasn't. <laughs> I, I was trying. I was being good. Uh, must be here anyway. I thought that was pretty uh, cool That was great, great. So why don't we do a random thought here? Okay. We'll do that and we'll jump yes, in. Do your random thought. So and we got it coming up with a good guest. Based on our guest, and it'll make a little more sense when I do the introduction of the two of them. My random thought for today is wanted a few good men. Oh. Let's just take a break, Al. No comments. <laughs> I'm pondering. <laughs> we'll be right back. <laughs> Whether you're an entrepreneur, climbing the corporate ladder, or a work-from-home parent, you are a boss. Together, we are cultivating your personal and professional growth. Check out TeresaRanConsulting.com today to find out more about this movement. All right, well, welcome back. And uh, I'm so proud, like I said earlier, so proud of you and your uh, your scores. Thank you. Got some some. Major guests coming in. That's uh, that's where we want to go with yeah. this podcast. And I am really excited about these guests. I say that every time, but you're right. They, not that all my guests have not been incredibly smart and great coups to have on the on the of show. Course. But these two gentlemen that I'm going to introduce to you now uh, have written two books on behalf of the Harvard Business Review, and we have someone here locally mm-hmm. who went to school with one of them. We'll talk more about that later. Or served in the Navy with one of them, but. Uh, I want to introduce him, and then we're going to get into the meat of the conversation. David Smith is an associate professor of sociology at the U.S. Naval War College, a gender, work, and family researcher, author, and speaker. Through his research and experience, uh, experience leading diverse organizations, Dr. Smith has established his value to organizations looking to improve gender relations. In his speaking, consulting, and teaching, he explores gender in leadership ses- in leadership settings, focusing on social science research, illuminating the difficulties women experience attaining and being seen as effective leaders. Dr. Smith is co-author of Athena Rising, How and When Men Should Mentor Women and Good Guys, as well as having authored numer- numerous articles across his area of expertise. Brad Johnson is a professor of psychology in the Department of Leadership, Ethics, and Law at the United States Naval Academy and a faculty associate in the Graduate School of Education at Johns, Johns Hopkins University, a clinical psychologist and former commissioned officer in the Navy's Medical Service Corps. Dr. Johnson served at Bethesda Naval Hospital and the Medical Clinic at Pearl Harbor, where he was the division head for psychology. He's won multiple awards. His most re- he's written 14 books. His most recent books that we'll discuss today include, with his uh, friend and co-author David Smith, 
good guys, how men can become better allies for women in the workplace, and Athena Rising. It is my honor and pleasure to have these two gentlemen, David Smith and Brad Johnson, with us today. Well, that is the introduction to two of my guests, but what I didn't say in the introduction is that uh, I actually was introduced to Dave through a former former Navy buddy of his that is now a friend of mine here in Florida, and we happened to be talking. He recommended the first book, Athena Rising, and then when I saw the second book through the Harvard Business Review books that I get, uh, notices I get, I was like, wait. I think I know that name. Happened to have, be having coffee with Jake the next day, and here we are. So um, what do they say? It's not what you know, it's who you know. Sometimes that's true, right? Two <laughs> degrees of separation. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> there you go. I exactly. Like so obviously, you guys, we've chatted a couple times in preparation of today, for today, and you know that with my work with boss ladies and the gender issues and things that I'm very, very passionate about. I've read both of your books, uh, and I know you've written more, but the two that we're talking about tonight is Good Guys and Athena Rising. So I wanted to ask you, how did the two of you get into the field of gender issues and studies? You know, so often we assume (laughs) there's a lot of women doing that, but not a lot of men. So can you tell us each how you got how you decided on this field of study. Yeah, so this is Dave, and, and that's exactly how we got into this field, because there weren't many men yeah. doing, or not enough men, certainly, doing this work. And, you know, for, for me, I, I spent my career in the, in the Navy as a Navy pilot, but the last part of my career was as an academic, and uh, I have my Ph.D. in sociology, and, and my research all focuses on the intersection of of gender work and family. And a large part of that was really about my experiences going through my career in the Navy and, and full disclosure alongside, uh, you know, my wife who was also a career Naval officer and, and seeing her experiences along the way that again, she, she experienced things that I, I never did. And I never would even imagine that another guy would, would, would have experienced. And, and it really opened my eyes to how, again, other people experience the workplace very differently than I than I do. And um, but it was helpful, right, in going back along my career and to be able to be attuned to some of these gender biases and ways that different people experience the workplace that are not the same as it is for for the average white guy like right. me. Right. And and so that really kind of you know, spurred on some of the, my my interests you know, my own personal connection to this and, and has informed largely a lot of my research and was starting, you know, very from the very beginning, looking at dual career families in, in the military and looking at, again, the decision making and how those choices are often, we, we kind of think about there being choices, but in many cases, just like um, we're seeing today and during the pandemic that often women don't get the same choices right. or forced into certain things that, it isn't the same, and so that that <clears throat> shaped a lot of my research. And um, and and then I had the great fortune when I was teaching at the Naval Academy with my my good friend and colleague uh, Brad, who uh, you'll hear from in a second. Um, you know, we we quickly figured out that while we come from different disciplines and backgrounds from an academic perspective, we had a lot of overlap in our research interests, and in particular about 
how we as men could be doing more to engage in this work. And just because something's called a, a women's leadership initiative or it's labeled a gender issue, that men have a role there, right? This is a, these are leadership issues. They're not gender issues. And we as men need to be involved in the solutions of those at the same time along, you know, alongside and collaborating with our, with our partners in crime there, our female colleagues. And I'll let Brad say a little bit more about himself and how he got into this. Okay. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. So this is Brad and, and, you know, um, I'm a clinical psychologist and I have spent most of my career researching and writing about mentoring relationships, um, particularly those that mentees find to be especially valuable, right? So the question always is, what do terrific mentors actually do? And so I was always interested in the mentoring research, and I noticed something over the years, and it was a consistent drumbeat of evidence showing women don't get the same amount of mentoring. They don't get the same quality of mentoring, and they don't get sponsored often as part of a mentoring relationship, you know. So especially if a male is mentoring her, he often doesn't put her forward loudly for opportunities. And and I was always curious about why men are not leaning in uh, to relationships with women in the workplace. So there was that academic interest for me, but then the personal, um, you know, Dave's wife, I think, was kind of a personal touchstone story for him. For me, it was my sister. So I began my career in the Navy as, a, as an officer, and my sister is followed my footsteps, and she's still in the Navy. Navy captain, incredibly successful, multiple combat deployments, aircraft carriers. She's done it all. And I've watched her go through her career in the Navy, and things happen to her that never happened mm. to me because she's a woman. So, you know, just on the small scale, she's told to smile more all the time. <laughs> and, you know, no one ever tells me I should smile more. And, um, you know, if she runs too fast on a physical fitness test and all the guys feel bad because she crushes them, um, she gets feedback that, hey, you're kind of showing off, right? Um, wow. No one's ever said that to me. So I, I think I've just developed some empathy watching my sister and the headwind she faces as a woman in the same career I was in, um, that it's just opened my eyes a bit and maybe heightened my empathy for the experiences of women. Right. Well, both of those are great stories, and, and we're glad that you, you came came to be. And these two books, um, you know, recently I reached out to both of you and said, okay, I'm working with a client right now that actually supervises a team of all women. It's eight women. And I wanted to recommend one of the books. And so, you know, I came to you guys and said, which one? Athena Rising are good guys because he's actually not mentoring in the truest sense of the word. But in a lot of ways, he is because there's lots of room for upward mobility for the people he's the women that he's supervising. And you actually recommended probably good guys, which is the one I bought and gave to him. So can you describe for our listeners the the little bit of the difference between the two books. Yeah, yeah. So I, I'll jump in with this. And it's a, I'm glad you asked that question um, because it, it is, there are differences between the two. Um, Athena Rising was our very first book together. It was based on a couple of years of research um, with women, asking them essentially um have you had male mentors along the way? Almost all of them had. These were 
senior accomplished women in different professions. And, and we said, well, okay, so if you had a male mentor, what did he do in very behavioral terms that really made a difference? What did you most appreciate about his mentoring? What did he understand about mentoring a woman that made it really helpful? And so we were really going for the behavioral practices and what does it look like when a guy shows up as a very deliberate mentor and sponsor for women in the workplace. And then good guys, you know, we noticed after Athena Rising was published, we were out doing a lot of speaking about how Mm -hmm. men can be better mentors. And Athena Rising went widespread, you know, about a year after our book came out. And all the data was showing, and we were experiencing that after Me Too, men in the workplace were leaning out, right? (laughs) They were... 60% 60% of men, according to Bloomberg and Lean In, were saying, hey, I'm sorry, I'm just not comfortable mentoring right. a woman in the workplace because, you know, it's scary or dangerous. And I think Dave and I were quite frustrated with those false narratives about what Me Too was about. But we, it got us pulled into a lot more conversations just about how allyship works and what does it mean for men to show up as better colleagues. And mentoring can be a part of that. But allyship is a much bigger question, right? How do I show up interpersonally as a friend, a colleague, a mentor? And then how do I also show up publicly as a disruptor, as somebody who looks at systems that create disparities? I've got to do a lot more in the ally space. And so that led to us doing all the research for good guys. And, you know, again, we went back to lots of women and asked them, what does it look like for you when a guy shows up as an ally? Right. What are those behaviors? And and then we just set about writing about that and, you know, uh, essentially giving giving voice and speaking to men about what women wish men were aware of when it came to being a better ally. Right. And I know in reading the books, I found personally that you know, obviously they were were great for the mentoring and the and supporting women in the workplace. But because I do some work with a friend, we do a monthly call on race, I found a lot of similarities in the way I, as a white person, need to show up differently for my friends of color. Um, And, you know, we could run the whole, what's the word I'm looking for, the intersectionality of, you know, all the marginalized groups, not just showing up for one. So I found the books very helpful in that arena for me as a female. Um, not only in the work I'm hoping to do on behalf of race that I'm trying to do, but also to help some men that say, you know, this Me Too making you afraid is is a very real thing. Uh, so it, as a female, it helps me talk to my mentors, Al Smith. You know, the day I started this podcast, I knew I wanted to have a male co-host because I I don't want people, I'm, I'm very much a feminist, but I'm not, that does not mean anti-male. We're not asking to take over everything. We just want our fair share and we want to be at the table. And I, I know one of the things that you guys talked about and leading into a question, there is actually a business case for having more women in leadership and at the table, to, so to speak. Can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, and, and, you know, and this is one of the many um, motivations that we find often for if you ask men about why they they do work in this area around creating gender equity, 
the business case can be one of them that can be compelling for, for a lot of men. The personal connection that we talked about, that Brad and I talked about before is certainly one of the most um, commonly referred to reasons why men do this work, but the business case is there too. And it, and it has an overlap with a leadership perspective as well. But the, the research, you know, we, we continue to find it across industries and professions um, outside the U.S. and, and international uh, contexts as well, that the more gender diversity, and we're just going to focus on it for a minute from a gender lens, but the more gender diversity we have at every level of leadership, so not just in the middle or the bottom, but all the way up to the senior leadership team, the C-suite, the boardroom, the more successful companies are, the better decisions they're making, the more creative they are, the more innovative they are. The If you measure your, your uh, bottom line in terms of profits and losses, you're more profitable. And, you know, one of the arguments that was made for a long time about this research is that it was very much correlational or, or an association, right. right? You couldn't actually prove causation. Well, this last year, we finally had the first research that came out of Australia that actually shows causation, that the, the higher the percentage of women in their senior leadership team, they could actually equate it to a profit margin in, in strict percentages across the board. And so now we have, you know, the causation. So, um, you know, there's, there's just such a compelling case for that. And, and if, you know, if the profit, the business side of it doesn't get you, the, certainly the just it, it makes your workplace a better place to work. People want to be there. And this gets to back to you know again if you're uh, if you're focused on retention and uh, especially retention of talent out there, a better place to work is a better place to work for anyone. <laughs> it doesn't right, matter if exactly. you're a man, man or woman or, or how you identify. Right? It, it's better for everybody out there. And, and I, and I think the other compelling case that I, that I always like to re- remind people from the business side of this is that it's good for companies, but it's also on a more macro scale. This is good for families in our society, right? Because at the end of the day, it's hard. And, and many, most of us need to have everybody in the family working, right? So right. Part, whoever your partner is, they, they probably work, right? We, we all do. And, and so I want my, I want my partner to make as much as, you know, in my case, as much as she possibly can, right? <laughs> I want, I want, because that affects my life and my family, and so that's good for me. But even down, you know, as you get into lower, lower levels of, you know, in our society of, of income, um, it's even more important for those families. I mean, they're, they're they're struggling right now, and and certainly having women's work valued in the same way that men's work is to get the pay equity. Right, makes a huge difference, and and that's just the family side, the the economic yeah. side from our country and and the world. Um, I mean, whichever estimates you want to look at, but it's double digits in terms of how many trillions of dollars we would add to the world GDP if we got if we just got to pay equity right. out there, gender equity right. around pay. Um, wow, I don't know about you, but. I could solve a lot of the world's problems absolutely. with a couple billion dollars. <laughs> absolutely, <Yeah. laughs> absolutely. One of the things I really liked about the books is how, yes, they're more or less business books, leadership books, but you were very direct at telling men uh, in your manual, so to speak, because I know you use that word, in not this is not just important in the workplace. This is important at home. If you're not doing it at home, it doesn't translate to the workplace. 
And so you want to give some of those tips um, from, you know, what, what they should be doing at home in order to help the whole balance in their own lives, much less their families. Yeah, such a good question. And, you know, I think men are often surprised when they open up good guys and they're all fired up to start their ally journey and <laughs> throw on their ally cape, you know, for women in the workplace. And <laughs> and then our first recommendation is, whoa, guys, um, you don't get to go throw on the ally cape. Um, you need to actually start this journey at home. Yeah. So if you're a guy who happens to be partnered with a woman, um, it is not okay for you not to be a full partner at home when it comes to domestic work, when it comes to child care, and now during the pandemic, you know, with homeschooling, um, and especially true when your partner also works or works full-time, just like you. Um, we know, even in those dual-career couples, that women are doing two to three times what the average male partner is doing with all that domestic stuff, and and it's not just the dishes and the child care. It's all the cognitive emotional labor, you know, of keeping lists and planning and all the things that traditionally men tend to default to women, let them right. worry about that. So there's all this unpaid labor going on in the lives of women that men have not been sharing in. And as Dave was sort of alluding, you know, until we get women sharing uh, equally at home, a a.k.a. because they're partners are sharing as domestic partners, it's going to be impossible to let women share fully in the benefits of work and promotion and, you know, other opportunities. So, mm-hmm. so message to men, we need to start at home. You know, if you're, if you're not sure, if you're a, a full half and half partner with your partner, go home and do a domestic audit, right? Say, yeah, how I am I doing? And, and then, yeah, and when you get the answer, don't get defensive. Just find out, hey, what what can I start doing better? And remember, this is not only good for your partner. It's not only good for you and the workplace. Um, it's good for sons and daughters. Mm-hmm. You know, so there's this evidence that when when little boys see fathers uh, really sharing fully in domestic work at home, those young men enter the workforce expecting more egalitarian reciprocal relationships with female colleagues. So they're, they're better prepared for that. And then women, you know, little girls who have a father sharing fully, those, those are likely to become women who go into non-traditional professions. They persist and advance in their careers uh, more because that's their expectation that, that women share fully because, because men share fully. Right. Um, and then, you know, a last thing I would recommend is, you know, we tell men, you have got to make this part of your persona at work, right? This is not something you hide. If you have family obligations, if you have a partner, you need to be public about your obligations outside. So if I have to leave to go to a PTA meeting or pick up a sick child or stay home, I need to make that public and clear so that it's not stigmatized for women. Um, who need to take time for different things. So if I, as a guy, can be public about my obligations outside, I empower junior men to do the same, to make this part of who they are. And I also normalize this for my female colleagues, right? I'm I'm taking my full parental leave. I'm gone when I have to be to, to be involved with children. I'm not 
I'm not going to shy away. I'm not going to sneak out the back door. I'm going to make that really clear. Right. And I believe in your book, if I'm correct, you call that leave loudly. Is that one of the terms you use? Because I I did a short presentation for an association group not too long ago, and I quoted that out of your book because the presentation was on work-life balance. And so I use that example, both for men and women, because a lot of times women, for different reasons, we don't dare want to tell anybody we have to leave to go take care of the kids because, you know, that doesn't look well. But if the men are doing it, if they're leaving loudly, I'm leaving early today because Johnny has soccer, Susie has soccer, then it makes it okay. And that's such a simple tip that I got quite a bit of feedback. Wow, I've never thought about that. You know, I really like that from both men and women. Um, but as we talk about all of these things, the Me Too movement, you know, the being afraid, the pay wage gap, you know, the domestic um, differences, all of those things just seem to snowball into where we are now with the pandemic having set females back more than it has set males back. And it, it, I guess I'm asking, but I'm kind of making a statement. It's like all of these things that we haven't corrected yet are now causing females to take a step back. Whereas if we connect, correct these things, then maybe when the next tragedy happens, that won't be the case. I mean, I think there's some truth in that. Any comments on that? Yeah, there's there's certainly lots to that, and you know, for for way too long, we've looked at in our in our country in particular, we've looked at childcare, you know, as an individual issue, right? It's an individual concern, and and in particular, childcare is a woman, a woman's concern, and women have been the the social safety net, and we're seeing that. I mean, just loud and clear right, right. now during the during the in a crisis situation. It's like, well, okay, there, there's your safety net right there. It's women because you can see them having to leave their jobs, being forced out of the economy and the job market because somebody's got to do this, right. uh, take care of our families out there right now. And, and men are, are not stepping up to do that. Um, and, and you see this in so many of the economic indicators. You know, last, last month, you know, um, labor statistics uh, came yeah. out and, and you know and gosh it looks like you know we've been set back almost four decades right right in terms of gender equality in our country based on women's labor participation the lowest it's been since the 80s um so all of that that we've gained over the last few decades that we've lost instead of going the other direction and certainly in december we saw the same thing with all of the job losses we had, the 140,000 job losses we had were for women, and, and predominantly women of color. Right. Um, whereas men were ga- men actually, there was, they were gaining in jobs. And we've seen the same thing when it comes to furloughs, uh, you know, more women being furloughed, especially women of color. Men have been getting promotions. And, and so you just, just to ignore that, is, is really telling and we, we can't we can't afford to do that and, and a lot of this is we've we've seen right because we everybody is for the most part working from home except for, for the frontline workers out there um, you can't ignore what's going on around you because it's going on around you all around you and so you know 
the requirements of what it means to to run a household and all the domestic responsibilities and child care and now homeschooling it continues to you know to plague us with the kids out of school the school's closed but you know that's predominantly fallen on women and, right. and where women were doing a couple times more work before the pandemic now they're doing two to three times that amount uh, during the pandemic and which is again the indicators that are leading to this and we can't you know again back to our our country can't afford it our families can't afford it and certainly our businesses can't afford this um, to happen and we've got to we, we've got to take a stand this is the time when we've got to take a stand to look at several things. One is, you know, the nature of work and how we're doing it. Uh, certainly, you know, we've, I think, work from home or and we, we certainly know what that means. And flexible work arrangements, while they used to be stigmatized, you know, because they used to be looked at as kind of women's programs, right. despite the fact that men had greater access to them because of the, the types of positions that they were in, and women were using them more often. Um, we all know the advantages and, and where they make sense as we go forward into to where work is going to go next. And the same thing with the value of, of paid sick leave, for example. You know, right now, if, if you don't have paid sick leave, you just don't have a whole lot of options there at right. this point. And it's really kind of, we've got to, so there's a lot of public policy things we need to be doing. But interestingly, um, you know, there are things that we, we're seeing, sometimes there have been large corporations uh, like Salesforce, for example, doing some really innovative uh, programming and change of policy in the in the everyday practices of how they're organizing work and what they consider to be paid paid work, and then same thing uh, when you get to small businesses, even more innovation going on there and how they're they're doing this. I, I heard a story today one of one of our colleagues, uh, Eve Rodsky, who wrote the book Fair Play, which by the way you should you should all go read too. Okay, um, which is around the unpaid labor and emotional labor as well at home that we do. Um, that, you know, there are small businesses out there that are still all men, yet they're finding ways to have multiple men on paternity leave, parental leave at the same time, right? So yeah. we can figure out how to take that model and then trans and ex- extrapolate that out. That would start to make a difference in terms of how we view paid work versus caregiving and, and how do we really value caregiving for everybody because we all have that as a, one of our responsibilities. Right. It, Melinda Gates also has a book, and I think it's called Lift, that really talks a lot about how... Yeah, Moment all, of Lift. Moment of Lift, yes. I knew there was another word. That's another great book on the, you know, how you put a price tag on, on the jobs that women do at home. Um, one of the things, I think this leads into what you call the motherhood penalty in your book. I have a couple of friends who are attorneys and they in firms, and they talk about the fact that they're struggling with keeping young female attorneys because they they leave to go like be lead counsel for a hospital or lead counsel for a private business because when they pull out to have a child and take maternity leave in the system of attorneys they they lose significant amount and um, my two female friends say as much as three to four years in their seniority toward making you know, partner in the firm because they're at home with their child, so they're not booking hours. And I think you guys describe not just where it becomes attorneys, but that motherhood penalty, you talk about that in more in a lot of jobs. 
Yeah, that's true. And and I will tell you that, you know, in the in the world that David and I come from, the military, um, much like the law profession, maybe even worse, we, we've really struggled with that. So, you know, we we bring in a lot of talented women into the military, for example, in the aviation pipeline to become pilots, which is the community David is from. Mm-hmm. And, you know, by the time of that first kind of opportunity for them to opt out after five years, at least if they're Naval Academy grads, we find that far more women are leaving, right? We have a, a difficult time retaining them. And, you know, so when you ask why is that, why are women leaving the law profession? Why are they leaving the firms? Why are they leaving the military pipeline? The answer, you know, often is erroneous when you ask men in leadership. They'll say, oh, well, they, they just want to go have babies. <laughs> well, no. When you ask women, what they're really asking for is simply flexibility, right? Um, the, the ability to craft a way to do work that works for them. And, you know, often junior men are asking for very similar things. And increasingly, I think we're finding that when people are leaving your company, they're looking, they're, they're not retiring, they're not leaving the workforce, they're looking for a company that's going to make that doable for them. So is there the flexibility? You know, do you create a pathway for women who do step away to have a child? And, and is that a career killer? If it is, um, there's something wrong with your system that you've got to fix. Right. We've got to stop blaming women. Um, and that has been our default, right? Just blame women for not wanting to stick around, not wanting to work hard enough, you know, not prioritizing career. As long as that's the attitude, you know, we have no one but ourselves to blame for failing to get uh, toward gender balance in, in our significant leadership roles, which is good for everybody. So, so do you have creative flex work arrangements? Do you have generous uh, parental leave? Do you pay for that? Um, do you have returnships? You know, so a high-talent woman steps away and has a child. Um, a year later, are you reaching out and, and just naturally saying, okay, let's talk about your return? And we're going to make sure that's without penalty. You haven't lost any ground. Um, we're going to get you right back on the, on the ladder uh, if that's what you'd like to do, and we hope you do. So that kind of attitude really, really important. Um, and then, you know, you mentioned the motherhood penalty, and I, I just got to say, all of us have to watch that because it's everywhere. And one place Dave and I are seeing it recently is on, on hiring committees, you know. The data is really clear that um, when an applicant gets identified as a mother, um she's far less likely to get hired, right? And comments get made like, she must be a busy mom. And that can sabotage, you know, an applicant's uh, success. So male allies, um, you not only got to work on the flexible systems that allow your company to keep women, you, you also have to watch for that penalty sneaking into the system almost everywhere. And I have experienced that personally being part of... Um a group nomination group that conversation comes up. Well, you know, she just had a baby. She's probably too busy. Yeah. <laughs> or, you know, um, yeah. maybe it'll be yeah. better to ask her next year. Well, she put her application in. That's up to her to decide. Um, but yeah. you know, somebody has to speak up or it continues to happen. And what I've found 
99% of the time, if I do speak up, the men in the room go, oh, yeah. It, they don't get defensive. They don't. They just don't think about it because it's yeah. it's not their reality. But for the most part, when I've ever had the opportunity to bring up something, they just are like, okay, you're right. Let's let's talk about it a different way. And I know you talk about that a lot in your book. Speak up, you know. And and oftentimes, right or wrong, it's better coming from the male that might be higher up the totem pole to speak up on behalf of a female or for all females, quite frankly. Um, so there's so many tips. I could talk to you guys forever and ever and ever um, because there's so much useful information that I hope everybody that's listening will will buy the book and share the book, can get it at any bookstore, um, and share the book with the men in your life and the women in your life because it also, like I said, gave me a lot of tips on how to talk to the men in my life about mentoring me or it even made me look back at some men that I realized were mentors even though we had no official mentor relationship. Um, on the other side, it made me look at some men and go, mm, they just didn't get it. <laughs> and I don't think they still do. So yeah. there's a little, Al Smith is not yeah. one of those and well, neither no. is Bobby. Bobby's wife works and he's had his kids here on podcast nights when mama had to go to work and he brought the kids and they played in the office around the corner. Let me just uh, chime (laughs) in just a second. So I I come from running small businesses for many decades. And so uh, restaurant retail, so not high paying jobs, but, but um, certainly valuable to me and and, a well majority of them women. Here's the, the differential that I saw in doing that wasn't, it was the issue I ran into was single moms who have who were getting no support from not much financial and not much otherwise. And so often find myself dealing, you know, having to help them figure out how to get things done and not really in a position where um, you know, I could just hire somebody till they get back or fill that if, if somebody's not there, there there's there's a shift or you know, product not being made or, or services not being rendered to, to customers and trying to make payroll at the same time. So as, as we're having this conversation, I, I just think back to uh, certainly when, when there was a father in the house and you, you I, I've seen in, in the generations that I've grown up that men have taken Bobby's age, have taken a more active role in being a parent. Uh, but what I saw the issue where I saw a lot of the issues as I hear you talking about the pandemic my guess is a lot of these women are the sole parent for the most part. And so when the kids are home, they've either got to, yeah, <laughs> right? Exactly. It's like, it's a no win situation. Either you're going to leave your kids to fend for themselves alone, or you're going to go out and try to you know, whatever job you can at pandemic. So I think it's, I don't know. I just had to add that in there. It's just a complicated, uh, sometimes maybe the statistics don't bear it out, but that's what I saw was a lot of women who weren't, if there was, you know, a father in, in the house, it seemed to, to you know, be a lot more stable. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I was wondering if Dave was going to dive in there, but <laughs> yeah. no, I, I, that's, that's why we have an I, edit I, button. I, I, I leave him speechless. Yeah. 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 He's speechless. Um, yeah, no, I, we, we, we certainly, you know, have to get better, 
at recognizing the load. And, you know, you could frame all of that as the unpaid labor. Mm-hmm. And, it, and it certainly is exacerbated for anybody who doesn't have a partner and is a single parent. And we just know that's often more likely to be the case for women. And so, again, you know, if you're really serious about retaining and promoting, um, what is the structure uh, that you've got for allowing flexibility, for not just encouraging child care, but actually putting some skin in the game and funding it, right? Right. Right. Could we have a co-op? you know, some sort of arrangement where our company is actually funding a big chunk of this child care, maybe with a couple other companies. And um, we just know this is good for our folks. It, it makes them more productive. It lowers their anxiety about where their kids are. So this is good for all of us. But are we willing to acknowledge the reality that to get to real gender parity and get to gender balance and in, in leadership, we have to do more to to make that viable for parents. Yeah, uh, there's just this is such a top, uh, not just a complicated topic, but a necessary topic. And um, I hope to see more work coming from you guys. I know you're constantly putting articles and things on LinkedIn because there's so much meat in this book for women. How to, you know, I think if you, as a female reading it, it also gave me insight is how to act as you know uh, the mentee of a man um i know there i have women in my world that say i'm tired of hearing of the first woman you know i worked myself up you know i didn't have any of those issues and i say well lucky you (laughs) you know with all due respect because that's not the norm and even as women we should be talking about our stories you know, who were the men that helped us or what did we do? Because I think even though we, we look at the men and we want them to make a lot of the changes because the reality is they're still empowered for the most part, we still have a very viable role to show up and to have expectations and to speak up. So I, I the book is, the books are directed toward men, but I will probably refer back to them many, many times because they were very helpful to me as a female as well. Um, so I could talk to you guys all night, but I, I know I promise not to. Uh, so for out of respect for your time, unless Al has any other questions, I think. Well, I left them speechless once. Uh, you did. You did. Um, I just want to say thank you for the work you're doing. Um, the books are great. I highly recommend them. And I want to thank you for your time tonight. And maybe we'll have you back on and do a gut check once a year and see what progress we're making. So thank you guys so thank you, very Teresa. much. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks, Teresa. It's thank great you. to be here with you. Thank you. Yeah. Have a great evening, both of you. And again, thank you very much. Talk to you soon. You bet. Right, Bye-bye. Take care. Bye-bye. Good night. So our gentlemen have hung up. Al, what do yeah, you think? Was, oh, Good stuff. These wow. guys have dug deep. Yeah, these guys, the books are amazing. And I know this was probably the longest podcast we've had, but well yeah. worth it. And I highly recommend both books to our listeners, male or female, because um, I really could talk all night about this yeah. topic, as you well know. Well, I, I suggest for, well, let's do more shows and not talk all night. About yeah. <laughs> Okay, if we have to. (laughs) So with that, (laughs) 
I had to will. be a smart aleck. Yeah, yeah that's all right. I'm glad you're here. here. I'm glad you're here. And with that, we'll end with my grandfather saying, take time to stop and smell the roses. So until we meet again, see you soon.